Welcome to the weekly podcast of Calvary Chapel, South London, a church where the truth of God's word meets and transforms the reality of our daily lives. We hope you are impacted by this week's teaching. Turn to the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord God and Heavenly Father, I do thank you so much for your faithfulness to yourself, Lord, your consistency with yourself. Lord, you are true. And truly there is none like you. You are unchanging. You are forever the same. The unchanging God. And Lord, we recognize that we are to be like you. And yet, even in being like you, we need to change in order to become like you. And so Lord, we thank you for your word. The power of your word the purity of your word, that as we take your word in, Lord, we are affected. It actually affects the very core of our being, worked out in every aspect of our life as we apply your word. And so help us today, Lord, to grow, to grow in our understanding of you, to grow in our understanding of your plan and your purpose, in order that we might become more like you and that you would be more greatly glorified in and through our lives, unto the coming of Christ. Help us, Lord. We don't want to be just hearers of the word. We want to be doers, Lord. Have your way, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So, um, I've watched yet another series of award shows. And in fact, um, uh, an event that was billed as the celebration of gospel, um, not sp- mentioning any brands specifically, any programs specifically, but uh, an event that was billed as the celebration of gospel. And yet again, there was that great feeling inside as I watched this event and watched these people who I had absolutely no awareness of their Christian faith or their profession of faith, all of a sudden becoming um, the most spiritual of people. And these are people who are known for um, many other things in terms of their character apart from godliness. And so there was that great in feeling and I think that there was that sense of Hmm, how does this work? How do we as a community, how does we as a culture have an understanding of God that says what we say doesn't have to match up with what we do? Because fundamentally that's what's being presented. What we say, I'm a Christian. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a Christian. Doesn't have to match up with what we do and how we live. And that seems to be acceptable in modern Christianity in many environments and many arenas. And yet when we look at the scriptures, we don't see any kind of license for that level of inconsistency. We don't see a license to say one thing with our lips, but 
to do something else with our lives. Furthermore, to say one thing with our lips, but for our hearts to be far from God. In the book of Amos, this was one of God's charges against the religious leaders of the people of Israel. You serve me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. And the fact that their hearts was far from God was evidenced by their actions. So last week we considered um, the fact that mission is the church displaying the glory of God as we serve and protect the body while spreading the lordship of Christ broadly and deeply. And with regards to that last phrase, I think that we could probably say we've um, enjoyed the, the, the blessing and the pleasure of seeing the gospel spread far and wide within the Western world. And still penetrating areas that were closed. When you think of certain areas of Western Europe and going bordering into Eastern Europe and so on, areas that were historically closed, we're seeing the gospel spreading. But as we've seen the gospel spread broadly, it seems that there is yet still a need for it to go deeply. Amen? Otherwise, we wouldn't be left scratching our heads at some of the individuals who stand and openly profess Christ as their Lord, their love for God, and yet be wondering in the light of their actions. And it's even easy for me to stand here and us to sit here and think of other people, but the reality is that it's true for us as well. It's easy to point the finger, but as one person said, you point the finger, you've got three pointing back at yourself. And as I consider the reality of the need for authenticity to be the real deal, to be genuine, I realize that I am as guilty as the next person. And I am as in need of God's grace as anyone else. But the quest is real Christianity, authentic Christianity. Many people would say that Christians are only authentic when they are basically walking in sinless perfection. For some of us, we don't, we're not really committed to being all that we can be because we're so discouraged by all that we're not. Am I lying? Or is it just me? Often we're, 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 we're not really, we don't really go hard for all that we can be because we're discouraged at all that we're not. And so we're like, well, why bother? What's the point? Because I can never be all of that. And yet, authentic Christianity is not defined by the ability to be flawless and without sin. That would be to contradict the gospel. 
A gospel-centered view of authentic Christianity says, you know what? God's grace has met me in my brokenness. And in meeting me in my brokenness, I am submitted to his grace to be all that he would have me to be. And so we may not practice a flawless, sinless Christianity, but we're committed to getting there. Are you committed to getting there? Are you committed to becoming more like Christ despite your imperfections, despite your flaws, despite the way in which you even disgust yourself? Because the wonder of God's grace is that he meets us in our brokenness. He meets us in our point of need. And in his love, he loves us so much that he's committed to change us. It's like the individual who has a, 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 a classic car. So one of my neighbors the other day, I saw him outside, sandpapering this old car. Now, it was actually, um, it, no, it wasn't a, a, a Micra. It was a, it was a Nissan um, of some sort. It was a Nissan of some sort. It was a saloon and it was a very old, very, very old version. We're talking about before the number plates changed to the new system and even before the system that preceded that. Yeah? That's how old the car was. And so he's out there sanding away and I'm like, wow, this, and I hesitated because I didn't know whether to call it was a, a classic car. It was a Nissan. You know what I mean? It's like, how do you call a Nissan a classic car? But I'm like, this is a classic still. Like, you don't see these cars anymore. And he's like, yeah. And he's like, you know, it's got the sunroof. They were rare in this release. And it's got full central locking and electric alarm. One of the first of its generation. I mean, he had the full spec. So I'm like, oh, one of, so like, you know, what's the plan? You know, I'm just going to take my time and just fix him up. I'm like, hmm. And, and this, this brother had such a love for this vehicle that he was committed to see it go from this, you know, decent condition, clean, no rips in the seats and stains and, you know, a little bit of body work done, needed, needed doing and a bit of respraying and so on. And, and it, would, it would look like really good condition. And he was, he was committed enough to take it from where it is to where it could be. When Jesus invested his life for yours, he demonstrated the commitment of God to change you taking you from where you are to where you can be. That is grace meeting us in our brokenness. And yet, we recognize that there are challenges and trials that hinder us. So last time we looked at Galatians, 
and we considered Paul's expression of the goal. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. If you have any doubt as to whether or not you can become more, that you can, not not more successful, that may be a byproduct, not more intelligent, more attractive, more popular, or all of the things that the world says that we're to chase after. If you have any doubt that you can become more like Jesus, consider the fact that Jesus gave his all for you. And in that, it wasn't just his death, but it was his life. Jesus lived in the face of temptation, in the face of trial. He lived a holy life, completely blameless. He lived a flawless, sinless life so that as he died in your place, you could be credited with his righteousness, with his flawless record. I remember when I was doing my um, PCSEs, they were called O-levels then. And um, I was, one of my um, exams that I was doing, um, I went to a nautical school. So one of the exams that I was doing was navigation. And I, was, I enjoyed navigation. And, um, you know, it, it involved a lot of um, plotting courses on charts and understanding Um, latitude and longitude and all that kind of stuff. Um, But as much as I enjoyed it, I didn't have a very great grasp of it. And I remember, yeah, I didn't mention what school that I went to, did I? No, I didn't. Okay, cool, cool, cool. So I remember, don't say it now, this is on camera. (laughs) I don't want everybody to know. If you know, just keep it to yourself. But I remember in my exam, um, struggling at a certain point and receiving some assistance in my examiner. And I received some assistance from the teacher. See, the teacher, he, he did kind of check for me. And he could see that I was trying, although most of the rest of the classes didn't. And in his graciousness toward me, although, you know, there's probably certain violations that he committed in the process, but in his graciousness toward me, he assisted me with this particularly difficult plot that I was trying to do on this chart. And I benefited from his knowledge in that instant. I actually passed, actually. What can I say? Can I say that I passed? Grace, you see? To be credited with a pass. Because of his goodness, not mine. Because of his knowledge, not mine. Amen. And you know, Jesus takes it to another level for us. It's like Jesus sat the exam in our place and then put our name at the top of the paper. He aced it. A star. With our name at the top. That's what Jesus done. So you've been credited with his righteousness in the sight of God. And so, Jesus, having invested himself completely, 
He's, he's, he's absolutely certain of the potential that we have now to be like him. Because he secured it. Having done so, what is required, what is necessary, is for the key aspect of submission, and this is something that will be highlighted time and time again as I, as I share. Authentic Christianity is the reality of God's grace revealed in a submitted and broken vessel. We know that we're broken, right? We understand that we're broken. We understand that we're flawed. We understand that we're imperfect. We have this treasure of the gospel in clay pots. Some people say cracked pots. That's what it means in the scriptures when it talks about earthen vessels. And yet we are submitted into the hands of God for him to do as he wills, for him to have his way. That his grace may be outworked. And when we consider grace, for those of us who are familiar with that word, you know, some of us will consider grace and we will think of it in terms of that undeserved favor of God. Undeserved favor of God. So God has shown us favor that we don't deserve. We were at one time enemies of God. And yet, whilst we were sinners, Christ died for us. And he showed us favor that we do not deserve. We understand grace to be undeserved favor, but we see from 2 Corinthians 12 verse 9 that there is another dimension of grace that works in our lives. And it's hard to communicate exactly how it works, but we know that it is... (laughs) The work of God's spirit. You see, as Paul was there with, with what he called a, a thorn in his flesh, um, a, a, a plaguing issue in his life, he called on the Lord three times to relieve him of it. The Lord said in chapter 12, verse 9 of Second Corinthians, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. This is what the Lord said to Paul and says to us. As we consider, how do we go about causing our life to match our lips? How do we give ourselves to actually becoming people who are consistent, who are genuinely the real deal, What it says on the tin is what you get inside when it comes to us. This is what we have to remember. We cannot do it in our own strength. But as we submit to Christ and the work of his grace, his grace is sufficient for us. And from this we understand that grace is not just undeserved favor. But it's also divine enablement. Divine enablement. And so where we've been in that place where we're like, what's the point? I'm so disgusted and discouraged by my own flaws. Is there even any point just continuing this Christian journey? We should repent. We should repent. 
We should repent of not trusting Christ. We should repent of not trusting in his perfect record being credited to us. We should repent of not trusting the fact that his death on the cross broke the power of sin over us so that we are no longer slaves to sin. We should repent. We should repent and trust Jesus. Enabling us to be committed to God's process. People want the prize, but they don't want the process. That's what makes fast food so popular. People want the, 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 the belly full in dinner. I was going to say nourishing, but I had to kind of rephrase that, right? The, 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 the belly full in dinner without the process of preparing it. Now, what's better? Home-cooked, lovingly prepared food or fast food? It's not a trick trick question. Adam said it depends who's cooking. When I say things like home-cooked and lovingly prepared, we're we're, we're talking of someone competent in the kitchen, yeah? (laughs) Isn't it? Like Mummy Sarah, you know? Isn't it? Yeah? So... We know what's better. That, you, know, you can eat fast food, you know, the, the microwave dinners, and they call it processed food. And if we know anything about food, processed food isn't good for us because the process is never complete. <laughs> it's always a quick process. It's always a money-saving, corner-cutting process. And likewise... As we commit ourselves to change, we prepare to accept the process and God's dealing with us. And as Paul said in chapter 4, those, those growing pains, he said, I'm in anguish, the anguish of childbirth until Christ be fully formed in you. So that's, that's the goal and, and that's the means by which we arrive at that goal. The fact that God, in his grace, is at work in us to will and to do according to his own good pleasure. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. I see that the latest edition of the um, Transformer, um, what do they call it, the, the... Franchise or whatever they call it. The, 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 it's not even a trilogy. How many films is that now, the Transformers? It's the fourth, isn't it? The latest edition is, is getting ready to come out, if it's not out already. Is it out? And it's, um, it's got a new leading man, Mark Wahlberg. I kind of like him as, a, as an actor, you know, still. I'm looking forward to seeing it. No? Wow! <laughs> It's a good job Shabazz ain't sitting up there, boy. He'd probably tell me something about his acting. No? But, uh, all right, well, let's, let's, the jury's out. Let's wait until we see the film, yeah? <laughs> and yet still, there is an even more exciting work of transformation taking place that we are all able to be a witness to. And that is the transformation of our lives into greater Christ-likeness. 
as we um, reflect on the formula that we considered, as it's derived from Romans 12.2, information plus application equals transformation. Information plus application equals transformation. We gave some consideration to our need for deeper information, a deeper understanding of God's word. As we consider now, transformation in our lives coming about as a result of us applying God's word. Us not being hearers of the word only, James 1, but doers of the word. We then consider, actually, how we are transformed more and more into the likeness of Christ. I'm going to take you to a few verses in Galatians. Galatians 4, verses 12 to 20. And as you turn there, Galatians 4, I want you to cast your eye on chapter 5 of verse 7. Where Paul says to the Galatians, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? Now, previously in chapter 3, verse 1, as Paul was addressing the, the, the problem amongst the Galatians, he said, Oh, foolish, not smart Galatians, who has bewitched, who has deceived you? And that was with regards to their understanding. But now he's putting his finger on their practice, their application. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? And so now they were failing in their application. Now, evidently we see a deterioration there. They were misled in their understanding And that has resulted in disobedience in their application. And some of us find ourselves in that place where in not being committed to growing in our our knowledge and understanding of Christ, we then become wayward in our obedience and practice of Christ. But in chapter 4, Paul speaks to them. He says, brothers, I entreat you. Become as I am. For I also have become as you are. And so Paul constrained himself to live a a lifestyle amongst the Galatians that was such that they could relate to. The Galatians were... Gentiles and Paul's Jewishness he laid aside in order to be able to relate to the Gentiles. Even to the point where earlier on in chapter 2 he had to confront Peter for his, his hypocrisy. Peter, you live like the Gentiles when the Jews aren't around. But when the Jews are around, all of a sudden you switch up and, and 
take on this kind of Judaic pose. Your actions are not consistent with the gospel. Don't be fake, Peter. You don't need to do that. And don't give the Gentiles the impression that you do. And so Paul says, I have become as you are. You did me no wrong. It's not like it was, oh, you you put it on me for that to happen. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. So Paul preached the gospel to them. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me. So they found a challenge, whatever this bodily ailment is, and it suggested that he may have had problems with his eyes, as he goes on to to talk about. But it was such a problem, such a physical problem, that it was a challenge for the Galatians. Even though it was a challenge for them to receive the gospel from Paul, even in view of his bodily, his physical ailment, and how, how true is that today? People think that unless you're rich, your gospel has no weight. God is not glorified. Unless you're 100% physically fit, then God is not glorified in, in the gospel that you preach. And so you must name and claim 100% health and full riches, have no lack that God may be glorified. We see from this that that kind of thinking is inconsistent with the truth of the Bible. Paul had a physical problem. And yet he preached the gospel to the Galatians. And he says, you did not scorn or despise me, but receive me as an angel. And the word in the Greek is also used for messenger. So he's not trying to claim that he was some spirit being that just kind of appeared and disappeared. You see me as an angel of God, a messenger of God. As Christ Jesus. What then has become of the blessing you felt? For I testify to you. That if possible. You would have gouged out your eyes. And given them to me. Have I then become your enemy. By telling you the truth. They make much of you. That's the Judaizers. Who were trying to make. These non-Jewish Christians obey Mosaic law in order to be accepted. They make much of you. They want to get you on their side and in their team and in obedience to their ideas so that they can look good. So that they can say, yeah, these guys are, are following us. But for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. Exclusivity. Elitism. Well, you know, if you join, if you do what we say, then you can join our group. And so you'll stay over there on the outside and recognize that we're on another level. And maybe if you get on our level, you can become a part of us. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose. And not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone. For I am perplexed about you. I'm concerned. 
I'm disturbed. I'm troubled over you, Galatians. See, their lack of consistency with the gospel that they had received, even though they were once consistent, was troubling to Paul. It was troubling. Now, is your lack of consistency troubling to you? Does your lack of consistency as a Christian, as a Christian cause you concern or is it like, is it a minor? Well, you know, when I look around, I don't really see anyone that's on it. And so, the fact that I'm not, the fact that I'm not going hard for the Lord, the fact that I'm not outworking a commitment to change to be more like Jesus is not a big thing. Because who is? Some would say. In fact, you know what? I'm not as bad as the world. So that's all right, yeah? As if the world is our reference. As if the world is the benchmark that we're measuring ourselves against to say that we're good or bad. They're dead in trespasses and sin. They don't come into the equation. Jesus is our reference. And so, if you're not disturbed by your own lack of consistency, you should be. We should be deeply troubled. We should be crying out to the Lord for his help. We should be crying out to the Lord for his divine enablement. We should be constantly seeking God, saying, Lord, here I am. Search me and try me and see if there be any wicked way in me. Show me, Lord. During our season of prayer and fasting, this was our motivation. You've heard me say it before. One of the definitions of madness is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. If we're just going through our Christian life as we normally do and thinking that we're going to see change, then we're not disturbed. We're not troubled over our inconsistency. Now, I want us to have a look at where the answer lies. And where the answer's not. Jesus said this. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And so the emphasis there is not on us trying harder to keep the commandments. The emphasis there is on us loving Jesus more. Because if we love him, the natural result is that we will keep his commandments. If we love him, we will. Now this is the words of Jesus and Jesus doesn't lie. So rather than strive to keep the commandments and to do the right thing, we should invest our energies and efforts and focus on loving Jesus more. And that's how we are transformed. Remember, God said to the, the guys in Amos, or through the prophet Amos, 
He said, you serve me with your lips. But he didn't say your actions betray you. Your lifestyle is a contradiction. He said, your hearts are far from me. And what we often do is we give ourselves to a substitute. We give ourselves to a substitute and feel that that appeases us, that satisfies us. And we're going to look at seven or eight areas in which, as Christians, what we often do is we pursue this, this becomes our passion, it becomes our focus, and therefore causes us to feel satisfied. When really, it's dangerous because... It doesn't actually reflect a really submitted heart, a totally submitted heart. The Lord wants a totally submitted heart. He doesn't want us to reduce our Christianity to simply one thing, one aspect. Now let me give you um, some examples and we'll unpack these as we go into community groups. All right. So um, on our discipleship ministry training, we were going through a book called How People Change, written by Paul Tripp and Timothy Lane. And um, I think it's safe to say that I've seldom had an experience in my Christian life where I have been so effectively um, opened up under the surgical knife while still awake. Absolutely. And any of the guys will tell you who um, went through the, the material as we did. Absolutely immensely effective in dealing with the heart and the need for change in the heart. And so these next, um, out of these eight, seven of these next areas are things that those guys identified as common areas that Christians reduce the gospel down to. Reduce the gospel down to. So these individual areas become the definition of the gospel and what Christianity is all about for some people. And I'm sure as we go through them, all of us will see ourselves at least once. At least once. And in and of themselves, they're not necessarily bad things. But you know they say that good is the enemy of best, right? They may be good in and of themselves, but not when they are the be-all and end-all. So, formalism. Formalism, replacing a total love for Christ replacing a total love for Christ with the fulfillment of church duties. So the person who's the formalist will give themselves to the duties of the Lord. They'll be at every meeting. 
They'll be there early on a Sunday. They may serve on multiple teams. Remember I said, it's not bad (laughs) in and of itself. You know, I have to underline that, right? Because as humans, we have a tendency to want to rock the pendulum to the other extreme. Well, that means I'm never going to serve on no teams then. I'm not going to turn up early because I don't want to be no formalist. Now, these things must not be emphasized and taken in isolation. These things must not be things that we use to judge others and the, the genuineness of their Christianity. But the formalist is that person who they will fulfill formalities. The, the, the formalities of the church, they're there and they're involved. Often as individuals, it's true that, as with all of these, a commitment to this can result in a judgment of others on this basis. That's the formalist. Is that you? How about the legalist? And, and these first three are triplets. They're, they're very closely related. So the formalist will fulfill church duties and formalities. The legalist takes it to another level. The legalist replaces a total love for Christ with the keeping of religious rules, whether written or self-imposed. For this person, it's all about do's and don'ts. For this person, they, they experience great guilt and sorrow if they don't pray in the morning. And they don't read their Bible. And when it comes to foods, actually, they're inclined to stay clear of pork. And, and shellfish. I tell Yeah. Well. <laughs> yeah? And the, the list of do's and don'ts can run into, well, you know what? I think it's a sin that women wear jeans. <laughs> it was just an example, you know. It's all right. But the legalist is that person. And for Christians to have tattoos. And so they will, they will have no lot nor part in such matters. And for them, Christianity is reduced to following a prescription of do's and don'ts. The moralists now, on the other hand, Not so much concerned with how they look in front of the church. Not concerned with so much the do's and don'ts of the legalist. The moralist just wants to make sure that they're upright in the community. They replace a total love for Christ with being a good person in the eyes of, com- of the community. In the eyes of their colleagues. So you know what? <coughs> Jesus just saved, saved us to make us better people. As long as, you know what, I pay my taxes, I don't get into any beef with my neighbor, um, I'm, I'm considerate, I vote, um, I, I, I con- commit a bit of time to charity. You know, all of this talking about the Bible and so on, it's long. 
going to church every week. That's long. Just make sure you're a good person and that people can see that. That's what Christianity is all about, says the moralist. Again, those things are not bad in and of themselves. But that's not what Christianity is all about. Now we come into the, the area of revelation. Hmm. Mysticism. Replacing a total love for Christ with the need for emotional experience. Now I almost put spiritual experience there, but it's not really a fair reflection of the mystic. Because for the person who's mystical... They equate, they, they, they equate emotions with being spiritual. So if they come into a service and emotions are running high, the Lord is in the place. I could feel the Lord was the presence of the Lord is in the building today. Hallelujah. They're less inclined to follow the word, but more inclined to follow their feelings of what God is saying. I believe God has said to me, I really feel it in my spirit. (laughs) And so we'll pursue that as opposed to the plain text of scripture. You may come to them with some genuine encouragement from the Lord. "Hmm, I don't receive that, you know, my sister. My spirit doesn't bear witness with that. Hmm. Now, I'm caricaturing. All of us have aspects of this in our own lives. I'm just taking it to an extreme so that we really understand what's being communicated. And for them, that is Christianity. For them, that is working out your salvation. Feeling God. And being moved by him. Now, on the flip side of that revelation coin is the biblicist. The biblicist is one who replaces a total love for Christ with Bible knowledge and deep theology. Notice I said Bible knowledge and deep theology. The biblicist. So, they have a disregard for the mystic. You're too emotional. Give me chapter and verse only. Theologically, that doesn't really fit the eschatological framework of God's... The biblicist can often be one who doesn't really care for people. They just really care for people to know how much they know. You know what, brother, I've I've just been in this really difficult situation and temptation's been killing me and I'd really just appreciate some support and encouragement and for you to just pray for me. Well, you know what the Bible says? 
The Bible says, let me give you a biblical theology from Genesis to Revelation. When it comes to temptation, we see that there was temptation in the garden. But then when you see that there was Noah and, he, and they've gone and they've talked out the whole of the Bible. God bless you, my brother. And they're gone. They haven't even stopped to pray. Not even to hear where you're at. The Biblicist reduces everything down to the knowledge of scripture. But then you have the activist. Nobody ain't getting away today, you know. <laughs> Nobody's getting away. The activist replacing a total love for Christ with a sacrificial fighting for a cause. Huh. Such a, 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 it really just grieves my heart to see the way that abortion is just so openly and just vigorously being promoted and flaunted. We need to protest. We need to go down to the, the abortion clinics and we need to pass out tracts and we need, to, we need to be there and let the people know. The activists. And you'd say, yeah, that's, that's good and that's right. But when Christianity is reduced to that and that alone, when that becomes the full extent of our love for Christ and our submission to the Lord, then it becomes a problem. So the activist is the one who will promote the cause. You know what? We've still got opportunity to fight the bill on gay marriage. Vote. Send the emails. Contact your MPs. <laughs> hmm. The activist. Now, the socialist, on another level, again, is cousin to the activist. Now, when I say socialism, I don't say that in a political sense. Let's just be clear about that. This has got nothing to do with politics. This is one who replaces a total love for Christ with deep and meaningful relationships. Deep and meaningful relationships. This is the person who, they just love fellowship. <laughs> now we're all supposed to love fellowship, right? All supposed to love fellowship, right? I love fellowship. But when a person loves fellowship and neglects serving, when a person loves fellowship and neglects evangelism, or even, you know, activism in its rightful place. You see how these things, when reduced to the sum total, become insufficient of themselves. It's all about deeper, meaningful relationships. And every other week they're ready to leave the church because, why? just don't really feel like I'm just connecting, you know. But there's more to church life. And other things may lead to those connections that the person who's really social desires. The last one. Psychologism. I don't even know if that's a word, but they used it, so... <laughs> Replacing 
A total love for Christ with the meeting of people's needs. The meeting of people's needs. The meeting of individuals' needs. And so, they will often be in a service and not really hear what's been said. Because all that fills their minds is, Sister Suzette. We ain't got no Suzettes here, right? Sister Suzette. And, and the fact that no one really seems to meet her need. She has three children. She's not working. Does she even eat? I can't even hear the sermon because this is just words. It's just talk. This, like how is it we even sit down for so long in a service and we're not meeting one another's needs? And every Christian self-help book, Seven Keys to Success, the, the Prayer of Jabez, Enlarging in Your Territory, whatever edition, they've got their hands on it and they're passing it out. Have you seen this? This is going to meet your need. This is going to help you. This is going to give you the, the, the key strategy to progressing in your life in Christ. And so Christianity is reduced to being about self-help. And so what can tend to happen is we can have any one of these or a combination of these as our focal point, as our inclination, as that which causes us to feel like we're truly working out our Christianity. And yet, the problem is when the Lord begins to call on, on us in other areas, we're like Peter in Acts 10. No, Lord. No, Lord. I will not eat. God's telling us to eat. God's telling us, you know what? You need to kind of get active and start being involved in evangelism or go and pass out some tracts down at the abortion clinic with, you know, sister so-and-so or whatever. We're like, no, Lord. That's not my portion. The Lord says, you know, you need to give yourself to the, to the Bible a little more. And, oh, but no, Lord, because that just takes up time when I could be meeting other people's needs. And so when we reduce our understanding of Christianity to any one of these areas, it's always at the expense of something good. And yet a totally submitted life says like Isaiah, here I am. Here I am, completely and totally yours, surrendered, submitted. Send me. What do you want me to do, Lord? And then we won't have corners of our hearts that we protect and that we cherish. Well, you know, Lord... I know that I, I'm not very, um, a very good witness at work. You know, uh, people kind of... But it's, but it's okay. Because I just still feel your spirit at work in my heart. Says the mystic. And when the Lord begins to challenge us in other areas, we become very aware of the fact that actually we're not yielded. We're not submitted. And so let us not be deceived that we're working out our Christianity 
in the way that God has called us to because we're fulfilling any one area. And we have our passion, our drum that we beat. You see, a deep love is not defined first and foremost by our actions. Deep love is not first measured by the extent of our actions, but rather the depth of our submission. And it can be easy for us to look at others, but God knows those who are his. He knows the hearts of all men. And so as we apply the word, let us do so in a submitted fashion. In a fashion that says, Lord, here I am, wholly, completely. I've not just come into a place of self-denial, but I've denied myself. There's a difference. I'm yours. Any area, any aspect of my life, anything that you would have me do, here I am, Lord. As we let the Lord have his way. Amen. I'm going to ask the guys to come back and join me. Each of those eight hazards are reflected in some way in our verses in Galatians 4. I encourage you as you get ready for community group when we'll be looking at that, that text, verses 12 to 20, to see where you can see the potential for any one of those in those verses. As you consider the different characters, you have Paul, you have the Galatians, and you have the Judaizers. You see, the Lord wants our whole hearts completely surrendered, completely submitted. All of us. And so, let us not fall into the error of reductionism. Reducing Christianity to any one aspect of what we've seen. If we love the Lord, we will keep his commandments. Commandments plural. Not just the ones that suit us. Not just the ones that are easy for us. The ones that fit our personality. find out more about us, visit our website at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org or find us on Facebook and Twitter at CC South London. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.